You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Kind of a quiet few days in Jets land since our last episode, but we'll start things off with that big dub against Montreal last night. Performances, big ones from some usual suspects and some lesser-known names as well. So we'll get to that in just a second. Super excited, too, on a Friday episode to kick off with our first brewery interview. Got a chance to talk to the guys down at Nonsuch in the exchange. Got to talk about some of their award-winning brews and some great food that they serve as well. If you love beer, it's definitely the interview for you. That's coming up in about 10-15 minutes. But first... You've heard us talk about DraftKings, who are the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. And this week is jam-packed with action, basketball, golf, hockey, a lot more, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front row seat to the action. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night, super easy and simple to do. Draft your lineup and... Feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid over $7 billion to users across all sports, and they're the leader in daily fantasy sports, so no better place, obviously, to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Back to the big win by the Jets last night. And big in a number of ways. But even just quite simply looking at the standings. And Calgary losing... Excuse me going through puberty there. Calgary losing to Ottawa last night. The Jets are now five points up on the playoff line with two games in hand over Calgary. So it's never too early to, to talk about playoff positioning. But to be five points up with a pair of games in hand, even if you split those two, you'd be seven points clear of Calgary already. And there's only at that point, you know, 35 games left to go. The Jets don't have to play all that good moving forward, just a shade above 500. 
and they should find a way to kind of easily get into the playoffs this year. So from that aspect, obviously a major development for Winnipeg. But the game itself, you know, it's funny because going into the season, this was the matchup that I was most worried about. That I thought, I just thought Montreal, and it's not even what I've thought. It's We've seen it in the past, haven't we? Where the Habs will, you know, come into Winnipeg, and it's usually a Saturday night game too, 6 o'clock, CBC, and Montreal absolutely takes it to the Jets. And they get embarrassed in front of a national audience. And then everybody gets all pissy the next day, come Monday, and, you know, tries to figure what's going wrong with Winnipeg. And the speed that Montreal's always had, especially up front, their forecheck has given Winnipeg fits throughout the year. So I, I, I use the word scared going into this matchup, this two-game series against the Habs. And I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised by just how strong the Jets looked and a bit of a, a, bit of a twofer. I thought the Jets looked really good. And I was pretty disappointed with Montreal as a whole. You could just, you know, you could tell that, and, and shocker, just firing their coach, you know, the day prior to that. But they just look a little out of sorts right now. And there's that with how they're looking in terms of their skaters and the fact that their $10 million goalie is playing like a $1 million goalie. That, I mean, that that's going to get a coach fired quicker than anything. But you do wonder how much of, the struggles that Montreal's going through, even, you know, with their offense drying up a little bit, you know, if Carey Price plays like Carey Price, just how quickly a lot of this goes away. But really for the Jets, you know, the, the, there was only three issues with the game last night. The three goals that Montreal scored. Other than that, I didn't feel like the Jets gave the Habs a whole lot of offense to work with. You know, there weren't a whole lot of... There was the odd threatening shift here and there. But for the most part, especially against Montreal, I thought they played pretty soundly. They just made, you know, three specific plays. They made three brutal errors. Um, I, I Maybe the most glaring one, and something that will make a lot of people upset here in the city. You know, Nathan Bull, you just... I, I don't really know what he was doing exactly. I guess you'd call it a whiff. On the rush there, trying to hit, trying to hip check somebody. It was just a, a bad play all around. Puts Morrissey in a pretty brutal spot there. And that was Montreal's third goal of the night. Kind of hard to forget or easy to forget at this point that Montreal was actually up 3-1 uh, going into the second half of the game. So that was one of the errors there. You had the second goal. I guess we're working backwards on this. <laughs> uh, the second one, you know, it wasn't a, a bad turnover or pass by Nick Ehlers, but it was a turnover trying to make a bit of a fancy play to Stasny. You know, the puck gets lost there. You would think that you'd be able to, and give Montreal a bit of credit on the play, but you would think you'd be able to defend that one fairly easily. But Forbord gets caught a little bit, and then Neil Pionk just, I guess, lost where he was on the ice or didn't know where Armia was. And a pretty easy play there. And then on the first goal, the first one by Armia, yeah, this, I mean, th these plays kind of bother me a little more than the other two. Those ones are more, to me, in the one-off category. But again, we see a guy get right through the middle of the Jets, through the neutral zone on a regroup and an easy breakaway. Nice shot by Armia on that one. And I don't know how you guys feel, but do you have a little bit of regret watching Armia with a different club? I, I've always liked his game, and I still maintain that, you know... Maybe it wouldn't be in Montreal, maybe it's somewhere else, but I think he'd be a great 
defensive conscience player on a top line or even you know in the top six somewhere i i just think there's a whole lot more to give if he gets the opportunity it's a shame that you know salary cap reasons the jets had to move him in that steve mason trade a couple years ago because he would i just love him i think he's i think he's an ideal player on any team right like any any playoff team would love to have him somewhere in their top nine at the very least he'd be great in vegas too i i've always wondered what a line would be like with him and mark stone as your wingers and if the other team would ever be able to get the puck away or how many would they set the record for most turnovers in a single shift that sort of a thing so it was it was a little bittersweet right the jets go down to nothing in the first but it's it's nice to see a former jet in Joel Mia have himself a nice game and he's had himself a couple good seasons over the last few years as well so we mentioned the 3-3 game going into the third period a couple power play opportunities for both sides it's still even stevens I think you could have made a decent amount of money betting that, oh, I don't know, Nate Thompson would be the hero of the game, right? I always thought Nate Thompson should be the fourth-line center of the Jets, is, is what I was thinking. Um, but, it, yeah, it's, it's funny how that works, right? Some of the more uh, maligned players on a team usually tend to make their first big statement a massive one, and that's what Nate Thompson did there. So great for him. I, I Hey, I think I'm with a lot of people that, you know, if we had our way with the lineup that you would roll down the middle with Shifley, Dubois, Stasny, and Lowry, and Nate Thompson wouldn't be in the lineup. But at the very least, on a night where they got caved in a little bit on the shot clock, a big goal, a massive goal for the Jets. And maybe more so than, you know, Nate Thompson's heroics and him stepping up to the plate was, hey, another bit of a softie from Carey Price. I think it's, I said it last last episode, I think it's time we might have to officially retire Jesus Price, everyone. He's, you know, he, it's weird because he, he made a lot of big saves in the game, but then he lets in just a couple of, ugh, a couple softies. And that's been his story all season long. He's one of the best goalies in the NHL in terms of high danger save percentage. He's one of the worst in terms of shots that you would expect a goalie to stop. But not going to complain in Winnipeg. So all's, all's good there. And then... A great passing play as well, and Dubois just he he continues to impress, doesn't he? A great shot there from a tough angle that pretty much iced the game at that point on. Now a couple other notes I want to get to specifically on the blue line from last night's game. Sammy Niku draws back into the lineup for the first time in what feels like forever with Tucker Pullman being out. I I thought I don't want I don't want to use hyperbole. I thought. Sammy Deku's first stint this season through the first week or two of the year, I thought he was one of the worst defensemen in the NHL. It might be harsh, but that's kind of what he gave the Jets, and Paul Maurice didn't really have much of a choice at that point but to take him out of the lineup. But I gotta say, he was impressive last night. I, I was surprised. I thought Sammy Deku looked great. I thought he was real, real strong for the Jets. And I, I guess the main thing is you saw his biggest strength and what I think this team is missing, too, on top of it. But to see that stretch pass to Nick Ehlers, which set up the tic-tac goal on, on Kyle Connor's second of the night, that, that's what this team has been missing. And Sammy Niku made that look super easy. But that's kind of a difficult play, too, right? I mean, a borderline no-look pass. But you're throwing the entire defense off, even with the hands. You know, just a quick flick of the wrist. And you kickstart the rush off the other way. I, I was pretty impressed. I thought... You know, you could make the case that he and DeMello were the Jets' 
best defensive pairing last night. So a real good game from from Sambiniku, who had a tough start to the season. Hopefully he's able to continue that moving forward because I, I like that element. If you're not going to play Vili Hainala up with the big club, Sambiniku's the one scratch that can give you a little something from the back end in terms of kickstarting some offense. I mentioned his partner there quickly. That's the other thing I want to get to here before we talk with Logan down there at Nonsuch in just a sec. I, You know, I've touched on this a few times. I, I don't need to break it down in great detail moving forward here, but mm, I just really feel like it's time we see Josh Morrissey back with Dylan DeMello. And again, it's not Nathan Beaulieu's fault. He's being tabbed to go higher up in the lineup than what his skill set suggests, but it's just not working for him. And I think Josh Morrissey needs a little bit more help as well. And it's not necessarily even just the the third goal that Montreal scored, the bad play by Beaulieu trying to stop the rush. But it's just the whole package, right? He can't move the puck effectively at a top pair level. He struggles defending as well when going up against some of the higher end of the opposition, whoever they're playing, really. And I just think he's dragging Josh Morrissey down. And it's tough to get a read on, on Josh Morrissey's play as well because I think he's making some good reads out there and some good decisions, but... He's not getting a ton of help from the guy beside him. So, I look, I do understand, and I, I made this argument going into the season, that the Jets needed to upgrade in the size and weight department on the back end. But you can't do it sacrificing skill, sacrificing the betterment of the team. And I just think that if you have Morrissey with DeMello, you know, that's how you ice the best lineup. And if you want Nathan Beaulieu on the third pair... I don't mind him playing there because that's that that's the spot that he was brought in to play, to be honest. And let's not forget, too, a lot of people said that Bolu-Pullman was the team's best pairing in the playoff run against Calgary last year. Well, that was their third pairing. So play him in the role that he's best suited for. And let's see what Morrissey and DeMello can do together as whether it's a top four or as the team's top pairing again. See what they can do together and, and give them an extended run. And if it doesn't work... Well, you have the trade deadline, you can get aggressive there, or then you can maybe put Bolu or Pullman back with Josh Morrissey. But yeah, I, I think it's time now that we see Morrissey DeMello, I don't know, give it two weeks. Two weeks, ten games, something like that. If it doesn't work, I'll stop banging that drum. All right, well, that's it. We broke down the game against Montreal. Let's get right to it. A great interview for all you beer lovers out there. All right, very pleased now to be joined with the sales manager and who i'm told is the expert behind everything beer and food at non-such brewery it's logan picton logan how's it going today man i am swell how are you today brandon i'm doing pretty good thanks now i want to start off the interview with this we've all heard in the past of beer and food pairings beer or wine and food pairings i want to know if i buy a case of non-such beer what drinking game does it pair best with Oh, that's a tough one. It's uh, it's definitely the the slower drinking game because all of our beers are uh, pretty high in alcohol. So it's uh, it pairs best with dangerous drinking games. I like it. Yeah, yeah. We we ask the hard hitting questions around here, so I thought I'd hit you one uh, right off the bat. Love it. All right. Well, let's get started. Um, I guess let everybody know how Nonsuch got started. How you guys first got bit by the brewing bug, and it's been a few years, hasn't it? 
Yeah, it has been a few years. So I, uh, I wasn't part of the founding crew of Nonsuch. I've, uh, I've been part of the team for just over two years now. Um, but Nonsuch was started by uh, one of my best friends, Matthew Sebourin, and his buddy, Ben Myers. Um, there's two other founders, Tyler Johnson and Mark Borowski. So um, the four of them kind of make up the, uh, the core of the Nonsuch crew. And basically, um, I, well, I've been in a band with Matthew for years, and he always spoke about wanting to, to make a brewery, wanting to brew beer. He had such a passion for home brewing. And basically, um, th- th- it was kind of that initial dream that, you know, kind of propelled him into kind of taking the jump and t- or taking the plunge. So um, his initial inspiration really came from his experiences um, in Europe, actually. So his favorite types of beer are European and obviously spe- more specifically Belgian beers. And that's kind of what Nonsuch uh, specializes in. So we specialize in, you know, um, higher ABV, stronger beers, beers that can be cellared, beers that can be aged. Um, and his, his passion kind of came from drinking Belgian beers. And then also his experiences at small cafes, small restaurants in Paris and all across Europe. So that was sort of where the, uh, you know, the passion for the Belgian side of brewing came in. And then I'm pretty sure, as far as I know, Matthew's passion for craft beer sort of just, you know, it came along as, as kind of everybody's craft beer journey begins. You know, you start drinking crushers at parties, whether it's in high school or university, whatever it may be, you know, I know I did. My dad drank blue and that's what I started with. And uh, I haven't had a blue for a couple of years now. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was sort of that, that kind of classic um, uh, progression, you know, where you start with the simple beers and then you slowly start to, you know, expand what interests you, your palate starts to get, you know, accustomed to different flavors. Um, and then, you know, you see, you kind of see how craft beer uh, exploded, whether it's across Canada and the United States. Uh, and, you know, Winnipeg's always a little bit behind with those things, but that's sort of how Matthew, uh, you know, got into it was seeing that this sort of movement was going to come to Winnipeg at some point and, you know, kind of what better idea to get in on the ground floor and start a brewery uh, kind of, uh, you know, right when the, t- when the time was right, kind of right when uh, the provincial government you know, change legislation to make it a little bit easier for smaller guys to get going. And, uh, you know, here we are three years later. Now, to me, there's two different categories. There's beer experts and beer lovers. I'm in the lover category, but I don't know a ton about, you know, the beer making process and everything like that. I do know that I love Belgians. It's my Mm -hmm. favorite kind of beer, but I don't know why. Can you explain (laughs) What makes uh, just everything about Belgian beer, the, the flavor profile and, and what separates it from some of the other craft beers that we see? Totally. So, um, you know, I, I'm by no means, I'm not an expert at all. Uh, I'm, I guess I could situate myself somewhere between a lover and a <laughs> pro-am. I'm a pro-am yeah, expert, nice. I guess you could say. <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically, so Belgian beers, obviously, you know, um, traditional Belgian brewing, uh, there's a number of things that kind of fall into that category. So uh, for non-such specifically, um, one of the things you really want to concentrate on is your local water source. So in Belgium, when uh, brewers were brewing beer, they would use their local water source. So you'd often find breweries, uh, you know, perched beside a river and they could use that local river water. Um, obviously, we're not going to be brewing water with the Red River water. Uh, it would be a little no, murky. <laughs> 
a little foggy, a little cloudy. Um, so we actually get our uh, water from an artisanal well in uh, southern Manitoba. So they actually pull the water directly out of the ground and put it into a truck and then bring it here. We have some really large water totes uh, in our warehouse where we can house. Um, I'm not actually sure exactly how many liters of water. It's a lot, though. It's a lot. Um, like probably in and around the... Well, nine, probably 90 hex, so about 900, 9,000 9, liters, something like that. Wow. 9,000 to 10,000 liters. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of water. Yeah, and we get water uh, shipments every, roughly every two to three weeks. So we go through a lot of water. Um, so that's one thing. And then also with Belgian brewing, so, you know, as you know, with lots of the new beers you see today, uh, you know, obviously like IPAs, New England IPAs, um sours there's a lot of fruited beers and the belgian brewing style kind of um, relies more on other ingredients to kind of get those flavors so yeast is actually really important in belgian beers so a lot of times for our beers we'll use similar grains but you use different yeast strains and the yeast strain will oftentimes impart really unique flavors into the beers so you know you can utilize um What's an example? You know, stone fruits or berries. You can use, use actual berries in beers, but there's actual yeasts and yeast strains that will impart those flavors into the beer without actually putting in fruit. So uh, a saison, for instance. A saison is like a, a very uh, traditional Belgian beer. And you'll get like lots of, you know, uh, you'll get like some nice spicy notes. There's a lot of fruit notes. Sometimes people will smell like bubble gum or cotton candy in these beers. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's beer at its simplest form, you know, the kind of classic ingredients, but because those yeasts are so unique, and then obviously the European grains, you can actually get some really unique uh, and a lot, lots of depth in the flavors of those beers. That is fascinating. I had, I had no idea about any of that. So then where do you, because I know you, you mentioned kind of following the same sort of European path when it comes to water. I, I think mm -hmm. you have some of your malts from Germany as well. Where do you get the yeah. yeast from, or is that another European sort of export that comes in? You know what? That's actually a really good question. Um, and I can't say that I actually know the answer off the top of my head. I know we get some of our yeasts from Europe, um, but we get a lot of them from the States as well. Um, and I mean, yeast is just this black hole. Like the, the, the amount of yeast and strains and then off strains, it's just endless. Um, so I would actually, I'd have to actually look into it and see where we get our yeasts from. You've stumped me. You stumped me the second question in. <laughs> uh, so then I, I guess just take us through some of the other parts of the brewing process because, and it's funny, I, I went to, um, the Guinness factory in, uh, in Ireland a, a few years cool. ago. So I kind of got like a bit of a sense of, of how certain kinds of beers are made, but could you maybe mm -hmm. just explain to the listeners um, just kind of the basic processes of it, and then maybe some things they don't know as well. Sure. So basically, um, the brewing process goes like this. So you're going to grind your grain, right? And your grain goes into your mash tun. So all your grains are going to go into your mash tun. Sometimes you'll introduce hops at the beginning of the brew. Sometimes you'll introduce them at the end. Uh, and that's going to obviously change how those flavors come out in the beer. So once all of your grains are in the mash tun, that's where you introduce your water and you will mix this. And that's how you get your wort. So once you get your wort, all of that will get transferred into a kettle where you will bring the beer to boil. 
And then once you've brought the beer to a boil, that's when you'll transfer it to a fermenter. So this is obviously where the alcohol is made. So in a fermenter, um, you will let the beer ferment out. And after the beer ferments, you'll usually transfer it to a bright tank. And what a bright tank is, is this is basically kind of like a waiting period for the beer. So once the beer is completely fermented, you'll put it into a bright tank and it will condition. And that could be any amount of time. Once the beer is ready and conditioned, you can carbonate it and then you can serve it. So uh, some kind of unique things about the process that people don't really know, uh, fermentation time is often affected by the yeast. So some of the beers we brew, they'll sit in a fermenter for a number of weeks, up to four weeks sometimes. But then we also have some beers that the yeast that we use is so fast at fermenting that it will be ready to go in 24 hours. So in the fermenter for 24 hours, and then boom, we shoot it out to a bright tank, and then it conditions. Uh, and then the bright tank is really interesting as well. So, or the time spent in the bright tank rather. Um, so because our beers are often higher in alcohol, um, we'll let them condition longer. So we have certain beers that will sit in the bright tank for 12 weeks. We've had some beers that have sat in there for way longer. Um, and basically what you're doing is you're just allowing the beer to condition. Uh, young beers sometimes will have flavors that are undesired or, or, or you know, aromas that are undesirable. But as that beer conditions out, those flavors or those uh, aromas will dissipate and then you'll kind of have the beer that you're looking for. Um, and then one really cool thing that Nonsuch does. So have you seen uh, any of our products, Brandon? Like, have you seen our large format bottles that we use? I've seen, so, I've seen the bottles. They're on the website. They look like wine bottles. They, they're beautiful. I don't even want to drink them. They look so good. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, so those are, well, they're, at, they're champagne bottles, actually. And okay. um, we use really nice corks, really nice cages. So obviously, you know, the appearance alone is uh, a selling feature for that. But we actually use, other than the appearance, we actually use those uh, for a really practical reason. So when we um, bottle our beers, we actually bottle them flat. So they don't have any carbonation. So what we do is when you bottle the beer, we, act, we introduce some sugars into the beer. And then the yeast that is in that beer will eat the sugars over a roughly two to three week period of time, uh, assuming all goes well, and they will actually carbonate the beer naturally. So that's called bottle conditioning. So that's a really cool thing because normal beers, what you'll do is you will force carbon. So what that means is you're just going to force CO2 into the beer, which will carbonate it. Um, but because we bottle condition our beers, they go in flat and then carbonate over time. Uh, and then what's even cooler is because we bottle condition, we can actually carbonate our beers really high compared to others. And then those bottles are so strong and durable that they can actually tolerate higher carbonation levels. I think, uh, don't quote me on this, I think they can handle up to 11 pounds of pressure. Yeah, something crazy like that. And so it's, it's uh, pretty crazy. And especially for like a glass bottle, right? Um, they're very yeah. durable. I've, I've dropped some full onto a cement floor and they don't even break. Like they're, they're very tough. For so, someone yeah, clumsy like of, me, uh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. I am, I'm a lefty. So I'm as about, as about as clumsy as they get. I was just going to say one more cool thing we do. Uh, a lot of our beers are actually barrel aged. So we have a barrel aging program. Uh, we have wine barrels and bourbon barrels. And once you brew a beer, you can, throw it into a barrel and then age it in a barrel um, for, you know, three weeks, four weeks, six months. 
and then you get to impart those really unique flavors of a barrel aged beer. So, you know, in a whiskey barrel, you'll get some cool oaky, vanilla, woody flavors. Uh, so that's a, a whole other avenue in beer brewing, and uh, that's becoming really popular as well. Yeah, I noticed the, I, I think it's the pecan with vanilla. Like it's all, if I had to create a, a bourbon barrel aged beer, you picked all of my favorite players. So I was going to ask you about that. I guess, is it just more like more depth of flavor? Is it just a more intense experience when you age beer in a barrel? Yeah, it is quite an intense experience. And once again, it um, the more you use a barrel, the longer you need to put beer in it because the longer it takes for the beer to get those flavors out of the barrel, right? So if you have a fresh barrel, you can put it in there for maybe three weeks and you'll get a lot of oaky flavors, but the more you use it, the longer the beer stays in. Um, but yeah, ultimately that's what you're doing, right? Is you're sitting it in something, you know, wood is porous. So the wood has taken in all those whiskey flavors from the years that it was used as a whiskey barrel. And now what you're doing is you're just mixing that in with the beer. Um, so it's a real art form and it's not, um, it's, you know, it's not always guaranteed. You don't know what it's going to come out tasting like, you know, sometimes you end up with a little bit more woodiness than you were hoping for or not as much. So it's uh, there's a really big spectrum there, but ultimately that's what you're doing, right? Is you're, you're utilizing the chance to uh, kind of, you know, change the flavor and help the flavor evolve in a product. And when it comes to the cans that you sell, I, I mean, the Belgian blonde is kind of, of your i guess i don't know what the right word is but maybe the og like the the best seller yeah. sort of a thing is that maybe a nice introductory beer is that what you guys do yes definitely that's uh the belgian blonde is you know we would call it maybe one of our flagship products um and it's exactly that you know it's uh it's an easy drinking belgian blonde ale um there's some really nice natural sweetness in there you'll get some apricot flavors you'll get some grain flavors so um and I think you probably know this too, is like the beauty of Belgian beers is that they can really cater to like a massive amount of people, right? If you're just a guy who drinks whatever beer, maybe Alexander Keith or, um, you know, Coors, but any, anything, right? Bel a Belgian blonde ale is similar in the sense that, you know, it's easy to drink. It doesn't have any crazy bitter flavors. Um, but if you're a more experienced beer drinker and you enjoy blonde ales, it's also great for that too. And it also can offer those flavors to someone who maybe has a more advanced palate, you know, that you can pick out more grain flavors, more sweetness, whether it's the fruit in there that you're getting or the, the phenolics, the esters, you know, it, it really caters to just a massive crowd of people. So that's kind of the benefit of offering something like that, like a Belgian Blonde Ale. Yep. You got your Belgians. There's a Porter there as well. Now you've entered the sour game on top of it. Uh, yeah. Along with the, the variety of beers you're selling, you guys have also picked up some hardware at the Canadian Brewing Awards, the CBAs. Is that correct? That is correct. We have one. Uh, I, I'm not sure that I remember all of the awards, but two that I do recall are we won um, silver medal uh, for our Belgian Strong, and that's one of our bottled beers. So that would be in the Belgian Quad um, style, and that's uh, – that's a really unique beer. Um, you know, the name can be somewhat misleading to someone who's maybe not really experienced in craft beers. The name is Belgian Strong, right? So immediately you might think that it's got some really powerful, strong flavors. Um, but the Belgian Strong is just this this caramel amber-colored beer with notes of it's, it's smooth, it's caramelly. There's some like dark fruit dates in there. Um, so once again, you know, it's a beer that you know you can 
you can give it to somebody who doesn't necessarily drink dark beer and they might actually still enjoy it. So that's a cool beer. Um, and then the, I believe the last time we were at the Canadian Brewing Awards, we won another silver medal for the 350. Um, so that is, 350 is short for the Orange Chocolate Belgian Rye Ale, which is a, a mouthful in itself. And that beer, uh, we, we made that beer actually for the 350th anniversary of the Nonsuch Boat leaving Europe for Canada. And um, that beer is once again, you know, a, a flavor bomb for lack of a better term. Um, it's, it's a dark rye ale, but we've introduced cocoa nibs to it and then also some orange. So it's not necessarily, like, don't expect Terry's chocolate orange that you got in your stocking for Christmas, but expect, <laughs> you know, a beautiful kind of dark delicacy with some light citrus notes. And then those, those kind of baker's chocolate, you know, the more dark chocolate notes, um, a really unique beer. And both of those beers are really good to seller. Um, and that's kind of another cool thing about our bottles is that they are made to age just like you would age fine wine. Um, the Belgian Strong, we've had a couple that are two years old. I've had one that was four years old. Uh, and then same goes for the 350. I've had a two-year-old one. Um, and one of our bottles, actually the Old Ale X, we haven't won a, an award for it, but it's really interesting. You can age that beer for up to 10 years and the flavors just change and, and you know, appreciate over time. So it's kind of a, it's a little bit, um, unorthodox to some people you could say right it's not something that everybody knows but it's a really fun thing to do right you have a wine cellar i'm a beer seller at home now so it's fun to, you know you dip in there you have dust bottles and you can try something see how it's changed from when you know it was first packaged to one year two year five years later so i've always wondered about this and you touched on some of the combinations what's one of the or what is the weirdest most out there flavor combinations that you guys have concocted when trying to make a beer? Well, it's funny you say that. So uh, as far as non-such goes, you know, because we're a little bit more of a traditional brewery, we don't always um, necessarily venture into really crazy territory. Um, but one that I can think of, actually, we did, we released this in November and it's, we called it the Chambier or Chambier Riesling. So it's a mix of our, one of our flagship beers, the Chambier, which is a champagne style beer. So really bubbly, some nice fruit notes. It's got, it's got a nice dry finish. It's really reminiscent of champagne. We put that in a barrel and we actually added um, Riesling must. So must, uh, do, you know, do you know what must is, Brandon? Have you ever heard that term? No. In wine? So wine must, um, so you know, wort or uh, when you when you finish your beer or when you finish the first process of brewing beer you have your wort right so you have all that extra grains all those spent grains and that's your mash so we've made bread with our spent grains uh, we've made cookies with our spent grains and then what what riesling must is is it's that same thing but when you make wine so that's going to have like some grape skins in it and it's basically part of it's, it's part of when you make wine you end up with must and that's obviously stuff that usually you'll just throw out but it's something that you can use in beer which is what we did so we got this really unique champagne style beer with some really cool venice wine notes uh a certain amount of a funkiness and that would be kind of one of the one of the most interesting beers non such as produced as far as the uh, wacky ingredients <laughs> We're speaking with Logan Picton, the sales manager at Nonsuch. 
Logan, let's shift a little bit to your food menu because you guys do sell a decent amount of food to go along with your beer. I guess the showstopper of your menu, your pies as a whole. And I got to say, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite pie? I always lean towards savory. So I love what you guys are doing with that. Totally. Yeah. So that's a, a really exciting and new new part of Nonsuch, the pies. Um, so we uh, our baker uh, and uh, one of our chefs, Cole Moss-Panchuk, he's been doing all of our breads for us for the last while. And um, when we kind of uh, approached him to, you know, see, is there something new that you'd be interested in making? Is there something uh, that you're passionate about outside of bread that you think could, uh, you know, go really well with what we're trying to do here at Nonsuch that would pair well with the beers? And um, Cole said, well, my, my grandmother's tuftiak would be a really cool thing. Um, and uh, so, you know, tuftiak is obviously, it's a, tr a French traditional meat pie. And uh, a lot of the team here at Nonsuch is French. I'm French. My last name is actually Picton. And uh, Matthew Sabourin, our president, is French. So we're all, uh, we're very proud Frenchmen and French women here. And we wanted to, well, I mean, essentially once Cole said that, it was sort of, uh, it, was, it was sort of pulling on our heartstrings and we were ready to say, well, just go for it. So uh, the tortières and the meat pies and the veggie pies have started. So basically what we've done is uh, we've allowed Cole to, you know, experiment with various meats and, you know, we, uh, we are certainly food lovers here and uh, we like to sort of leave uh, a certain amount of the creativity in that part to the chefs. So Cole um, started off with this traditional tostiaire and generally speaking, they're made with um, a lot with lard. So your, the breading will be made with lard. And um, I mean, as most, if you've ever had a meat pie, it's sort of like that crumbly crust, right? Uh, which for me is uh, that's usually the weak point in a pie for me. I'm not huge on the on the dry crust. I know some people really love it. Um, but so one unique Cole or one unique thing Cole has done with these new pies is he's made the crust out of suet. Uh, so just a different type of fat essentially. Um, and he's made those crusts really, really thin. So you get this really nice crispy crust on the outside, but it really holds the moisture on the inside of the pie. Um, so honestly, it's, the tortière is like nothing I've ever had before. Um, my wife, she is uh, as French as they come. She's grown up, grew up speaking French and uh, eating tortière like a crazy person. And we had one the other day and she, she just couldn't believe, you know, it, it, it falls in line with what that traditional tortière would be, but there's just such a unique uh, profile to it. And um, so there's, there's some really, it's very moist. And one really cool ingredient as well is we use um, some of our charcuterie bits. So the pieces of charcuterie that we don't necessarily want to send out, whether they don't look nice or that the ends of our pieces of meat, we've ground those up and we've added those in there too. So that's, uh, that's sort of the exciting news regarding the tortière. And then of course we have our, uh, we have our veggie, our veggie tortière, which is really awesome. So that one is mushroom and leek. So we have mushrooms in it. There's leek, kale, uh, the veggie suet crust, and uh, it's uh, it's really really nice as a veggie option. Um, and you know, once again, it sort of falls under those same lines of your traditional tortiere, but you're just not eating the meat. Um, and then uh, earlier this week, we released a brand new pie to add to the list, and it is our Baltic Porter veal pie. Um, so we use the same suet crust, mm -hmm. veal cheeks, mushrooms, 
tomatoes, pearl onions, uh, carrots, and then a subtle touch of our Baltic border. So it's got a really nice uh, beer profile to it. And, you know, that on the topic of pairings, the Baltic Porter or some of our other dark beers would be a great beer to drink alongside that. It would really, um, you know, you're, when you're looking to pair beer with food, you're looking to find something that um, doesn't necessarily take away from the food, but adds to it, right? And uh, the dark beers, notoriously, the Baltic Porter would be uh, phenomenal beers to pair with that. Well, first off, Logan, let me apologize for anglicizing bastardizing your last name uh, the first couple of times i said it <laughs> i, oh, I have okay. we're probably laughing at the other room right now no you know what honestly uh of all the french last names picton is not uh it's not blatantly obvious that it's french and uh my brother and my sister would probably say it picton and i say it picton 50 percent of the time too so you're uh you're forgiven perfect <laughs> here with logan piton um, can you also just touch on the other parts of your food menu? I guess, is it basically centered around small bites and kind of salty sort of things that when you drink a beer, you want that to eat beside it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, we, uh, we always, uh, we always try to remember that we are a brewery first and then we have the restaurant as sort of a, you know, a, a partner to the brewery. Uh, it's hard to, it's hard to do that sometimes, right? Cause we're also so passionate about good food that you often find yourself just kind of, you know, it's a balancing act. You know, sometimes you'll put a lot of emphasis on the food and other times you'll put a lot of emphasis on the beer. Um, so yeah, what we currently, I mean, our, our menu right now is uh, different than it was before COVID because obviously the, you know, the idea was exactly what you said before. It's uh, it was to, you know, come and sit down with one friend on a date with a couple friends and, you know, you can share a bunch of, a bunch of really unique plates. Um, so now basically what we have is it's, similar just somewhat uh, refined to what it was before so we have our chips and dips so we make homemade chips with a really tasty french onion and dill dip uh we obviously have our charcuterie which is all uh really really amazing meat all cured in-house smoked in-house and uh we utilize all local um local meat so we use a lot of meat from zin farms and then for some of our bison, uh, our bison meat, we will use uh, bison from a farm out in Beausjour. Forget what the name is, um, but we we really try to obviously always utilize local um, produce and local local animals as much as we can. And then uh, we have our fromage, which is uh, a really tasty cheese board. Um, and I should mention that both our charcuterie and our fromage come with. Um, all sorts of vegetable preserves that we have preserved in house. You know, you'll get beans, you'll get asparagus, pickles. Um, we have jams as well. And then uh, Cole Mostanchuk, our chef, he also makes um, some beautiful focaccia that comes with the cheeses as well as the chassiterie. Um Our cheeses are often sourced either nationally or internationally. And, you know, we're always trying to get some uh, really unique, uh, powerful, very flavorful cheeses. Um, and they're excellent to drink with our beers. Uh, the Trapel, our Belgian Trapel, is one of our bottled beers, and that just pairs with our cheese uh, beautifully. Awesome. And I, I don't even have a question for this. I, I'm just going to flat out give you props. Uh, you make mustard as well. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that. I'm coming down before I leave for the weekend to pick up a, a jar or a can of mustard. So I, I'm an absolute madman when it comes to mustard. So, uh, yeah, I don't have a question. I just want to say thanks for making it. It's funny you say that. I'm a madman for mustard too. Um, and I, I'm such a madman for mustard that almost every time I eat mustard, it ends up on my shirt. 
And I don't know if that's because I'm left-handed or just because mustard doesn't like me. But goodness, it's, uh, it's I'm, I'm fighting a losing battle. <laughs> that's the only way to eat mustard, in my opinion. I ask you about uh, your your shared. Oh yeah, you cut out for a second. Did you say our shared uh, our shared experience? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to ask you about the yeah. shared experience packages. So those are really fun. Um, we were kind of during uh, the midst of lockdown. Um, you know, we were trying to think of creative ways to, you know, help people make memories, um, you know, when they're at home. And um, one of our ideas was these shared experiences. So basically, uh, you know, kind of at the heart of it was let's find a way to, you know, help people make moments at home. Or what they could do is, you know, I could buy a shared experience for myself and my partner and then my friend, they could buy a shared experience for themselves. And then, you know, over a Zoom call or FaceTime, we could enjoy that together. So the idea was to, you know, uh, together but apart. Um, and so that's exactly what those shared experiences are, is, uh, you know, it's enough, uh, it's enough food to share between some folks. And, uh, you know, we, we paired the beer with the food. And um, essentially what it allows you to do is, you know, enjoy some, enjoy some quality time with close people, even though you might not be together. <laughs> In real life. And that's part of, and I believe pretty much everything you guys sell is part of your home delivery service. Can you just explain to everybody how that works and the fact that you don't really have to move a whole lot to grab a bunch of beer and some good food to go with it? <laughs> no, you just got to move from your couch to the front door. That's about it. So basically our <laughs> home delivery service, uh, we've tried to make it as uh, approachable and as easy as possible for folks. So what we offer is we offer home delivery uh, from Tuesday to Saturday, and uh, we offer same-day delivery. So if you get your orders in before 2 p.m., we will deliver it that same day between 3 p.m. and 9 p.m. Um, so we offer, of course, like you said, all of our beers and uh, the lion's share of our food. Not everything, um, but you can get our charcuterie, you can get our fromage, uh, and then we also uh, one one thing that's great about our new pies is that we offer them frozen. So you can get that pie frozen you can you know throw it in the freezer or you can uh, throw it in the oven can you yeah. just uh, let us know what the plans are in the near future for non-such as the temperature gets warmer are you maybe planning on a patio situation just just anything to kind of get you know a few more people down to your actual establishment yeah that's uh you pretty much hit the nail on the head there brandon basically what we're looking at you know we've uh, well we've actually been speaking about uh, growing our patio we, we have kind of two patios right now um, and we're kind of always, you know, even outside of COVID, we're looking to grow that because what are people looking for in the summer in Winnipeg? They're looking for a place to go and enjoy a beer outside, right? Um, so that's that's one thing that we're concentrating on. We're looking at maybe opening up. We're, hope, you know, hoping to open up soon. Um, obviously, everything's up in the air. We're kind of trying to take things slow and, uh, you know, make sure we iron out any, any little detail before we jump into it. Uh, and then, yeah, of course, as the season changes, you know, we have some really exciting beers planned. We had a, a nice long meeting this morning about what we're planning for our beers coming, going right into the summer. So uh, lots to be excited about. Uh, this week, we released our Irish Red Ale for St. Patty's Day. So we're getting ahead of the eight ball on that one. And uh, tomorrow we'll have a, uh, or what day? Yeah, on Friday, Friday the 26th, we will be releasing the uh, Fieldberry Kettle Sour. So another really exciting product. And, uh, you know, just kind of rolling things out and trying to, you know, stay on the positive and just keep moving forward. Awesome, Logan. Well, we cap off all our interviews around here with one last question. We ask everybody that comes on, 
We actually do have a game day coming up tonight, ironically, against the Montreal Canadiens. Um, yeah. But could you just tell us, what would a perfect game day meal and maybe a beer thrown in from non-such be? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I mean, all of our, I guess all of our food might be considered a little bit unorthodox for game day. Uh, but to me, it would be a nice hot tourtière and uh, some charcuterie. And my personal favorite non-such beer is the Baltic Porter. So I would uh, crack, a, crack a couple of those and uh, sit down on the couch, which I will probably be doing tonight. Uh, I, I'm excited. We haven't seen the Habs play the Jets yet this year. So I'm, uh, I'm very much anticipating this game tonight. Now, are you a Habs fan, Logan? Well, that's so funny you ask. So I was a Habs fan for the longest time. And then obviously when the Jets came back, I, uh, I switched yeah. over to being a, a big Jets fan. And uh, I'll always have a Habs. You know, I mean, Habs, I'm a French boy. They're, they always have a special, special spot in my heart. But uh, I'm a really big Jets fan. And I really love the way the guys are looking this year. So it's, uh, I think it's bound to be a really good game tonight. I hope so anyways. Yeah, it might be a playoff preview on top of it. So pretty exciting stuff. Uh, before we let you go, Logan, can you just let our listeners know uh, where they can hit you guys up, whether it's online, social media? For sure, yeah. So the uh, the first place, first and foremost, is www.nonsuch.beer. So you can find all of our products there. You can find our hours, home delivery. Uh, you can order for pickup there as well. We have uh, cake and bake pies. You can order online and come and pick one up hot and ready to eat. Um, and then, of course, you can find us on social media. So on Instagram at nonsuch.beer, if you're interested in keeping up with all of our new releases, on Facebook and on Twitter as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today, Logan. It was a great talk. Learned so much about beer. And it was great to catch up with some of the best beer makers here in the city. Thanks a lot, Brandon. It was, uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. It's funny listening to your voice and talking to you. I've heard it on the radio so many times. And now I've just been chatting to you this whole time. <laughs> It's been a pleasure, and uh, I'd love to uh, share a couple beers on the patio with you uh, when the time comes. Let's make it happen. Sounds good. All right, so that does it for another episode of Skates and Plates. Thanks so much to Logan and the crew down there at Nonsuch. I'll be making my way down there later Friday, heading out to my parents' cabin, so I'll have to pick up maybe a Sixer, uh, maybe a couple of Sixers, a Belgian Blonde, a Belgian Peach. Maybe I'll throw in one of those bourbon barrel agents. I'll make a whole day of it. I got, I'm going to need somebody to take away my wallet before I go in there. Uh, but again, thanks to the crew down at Nonsuch. And make sure you guys check them out. Whether you want some delicious drinks or some food to go along with it. Or maybe both. It's a great crew down there. And they do a great job as well. Now for next week, Tuesday's episode. By the way, I do want to thank everybody who reached out. I mean, it was awesome to see the support you guys gave us. Uh, but just the the positivity and the positive feedback from having the old Big Show reunion episode with uh, Jim and Troy. I mean, it's it's always great to see. And you guys have always been super supportive and super nice. So I, I really, really do appreciate it, even if I couldn't get to all of your comments. But we will have another big interview for you on Tuesday. A couple big games as well for the Jets. One more against Montreal. A series against Vancouver. The action never stops. So we'll get into that. Tuesday's episode, another jam-packed all-hockey action coming at you in a couple days. But until then, thank you guys so much for joining me on Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace!